How many of you are aware that there's a pretty big football game play, being played later today? If you're, I just mentioned it, so if you're not aware, you're not paying attention. Uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and after a season of hard work and, and a lot of practice and preparation, the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams are going to square off today in Atlanta. Today is, listen, I don't even know what to say. Anybody's going to whoop for either one of those teams. I just don't know what to say. <laughs> Today is the ultimate big game in the NFL, right? But let me, let me just ask you a question. How many of you think that these two teams are going to go in today, into the game today without a plan? No, I mean, you think they're going to just start that game and say, oh, well, you know, we're just going to go out there. And we don't really have a plan. We're just going to play some football and Whatever they do, we'll just try to counteract it a little bit. And, and you know, do you think that's how they're going to approach the game? Of course not. They, they have taken, they, the last two weeks have not been vacation for those teams. They have been working. They have been preparing. They have uh, got a game plan in place. They know what they want to do. They know what the other team likes to do. They know exactly how they're going to attack the opposing team. Now, how many of you realize that the church... This church, not just the church at large, but all of us, this church is involved in activity that is far, far more important than any football game could ever be. Amen? Amen. We are in a fight for the souls of, of, of people, and, and God is the one who's directing the church. And Scripture makes it clear that God has a master game plan for His church. In fact, God has a master game plan for this church. And, 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 you know, a, a lot of us, when you're in the church, we think, oh, I, we just need to get more people. We need to, we need to, we do, we need to reach more people. We need to grow. We need to continue to, to, to add to the numbers that are being part of this church. But the truth is, the average church does not need more members. It needs more ministers. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says this. Now these are the gifts God gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now I read that, and one of the striking things about this passage is that God did not give pastors to the church to do the work of the ministry by themselves. He gave pastors to the church to prepare God's people for works of service. How many of you see that in that scripture? Doesn't mean the pastors don't do the work of the ministry. It means that that's not all they're supposed to do. That they're supposed to help uh, equip the people of God and raise up the people of God so that the people of God can be about the work of God. Amen? Are we on the same page here? All right. Well, I've noticed over the years as a minister, minister that uh, one of the things I've seen is that the more involved someone gets in a church... And the more involved they get in ministry to others, the more excited they get about that church. Uh, because it's those that are not involved that actually have time to sit around and complain and gossip and criticize everybody else that's actually doing something. And one of our goals here at Restora Restoration Life Church and in the, year, in the year 2019 and beyond is to get more people involved in ministry. And, and since this is Super, Super Bowl Sunday, I thought... Uh, it would be a great time for us to think about how the church should fulfill God's master game plan. And to do that, I, I, want, to, I want to reflect on, on how a football game might be played 
if a football team played the game the way many churches think about and many Christians think about and participate in the church. So let's just imagine today, this is a little different kind of message, but let's just imagine that you and I are, are television commentators and we're sitting up high uh, uh, above the stands looking out across the field and, and we're watching one of the most unusual and outlandish football games that has ever taken place. And I'm going to take you through, we're going to walk through five different scenes in this, in this game and, and you'll see how a football game would be played out if if the football game, if the football players played the way a lot of church members participate in church. You ready? Here we go. Scene number one. In scene number one, the coach plays alone. Okay, so they're out there. The captains are on the field. The referees are in the middle field. And they flip the coin. And, the, and, the, and uh, one side wins the, the coin toss. And the referee signals who's going to kick off. And the other team begins to take the field to get in their position. The other team's going to kick off. And our team is going to receive the kick. But, our, but, but, but as soon as the coin flip is over, all of a sudden, the, the team, our team, goes over to the bench. And the coach takes the field. And we're all just sitting there in wonder. We can't believe what's happening. We, we know that he can't possibly make any progress against an entire team of, of 11 men. And the opposing team kicks the ball and it goes flying through the air end over end. And the coach is down at the other end of the field and he catches that ball and he begins to run the ball. And 11 massive men begins to converge on this poor helpless coach all at full speed. And we can hardly watch and we cringe as the coach gets creamed. And they carry him off to the sidelines on a stretcher. And the referee signals a timeout. And all the fans are in the stands. They begin to shout down at the players, Why aren't you out there? Why aren't you on the field? And they begin to yell back at, at, the, at, the, at the stands. They say, Well, that's what we hired the coach for. He's far more experienced. He knows the playbook way better than we do. I mean, and so what happens in a football game when the coach plays alone? He gets creamed. Well, I want you to see this, this happened. Let's, let's see what happened in Scripture. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows weren't, were being neglected in the daily distribution. In other words, they were taking care of the window, widows and they were handing out food and taking care of them, making sure they had something to eat. And the, the Greek-speaking Jews, the ones that were, that were not Hebrew in culture, they began to say, hey, our widows are not getting the same stuff that the Hebrew widows are. And so there's this there is controversy in the church. Isn't that shocking? I mean, we have grown so far past that now, haven't we? Tongue in cheek. Let's read on. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to, to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. 
And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what happened when the, when the pastors played alone? Well, the pastors, the first thing that happened was, we see in verse 1, the pastors could not keep up with the needs. They could not take care of everything that needed to be taken care of. You know, the average-sized church is in America is about 75 people. And, and, and that means that there are a lot of churches that are bigger than that, and there are a lot of churches that are smaller than that. And, and there are many churches in America that are averaging 15, 20, or 30 in attendance. And one of the reasons why those churches never are able to grow beyond that level, even beyond the level of 75, it's because the pastors on their own, they cannot keep up with the needs. And so people get neglected and when, they, when their needs aren't met, when, they're not, when, when the needs are greater than what they, the, the capability of the pastors, then, then the church just stops growing. So what happened? The pastors couldn't keep up with the needs. Then verse 2, the congregation came together to discuss the needs. They said, hey, let's talk about this thing. There's something going on here. And then they realized, uh, the, the pastors, the leaders of the church realized that the needs were greater than them. And they realized, listen, we're going to have to make some choices here. And for, our, for ourselves, as the leaders of the church, we're going to have to set some priorities. Verses 2 through 4. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the, of the, the word of God to serve tables and he goes on and talks about uh, picking out the seven men full of the Holy Spirit. And it says at the end, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they set their priorities. They said, okay, as the leaders of the church, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to ask you to, as the congregation to help us raise up new leaders in the church and they're going to be able to take care of a lot of these other things so that we as, as the pastors, as the preachers of the church, so that we can focus on, on, on prayer and the ministry of the word. That was the priorities that they had. Everybody see that? Then this, the next thing that happened as a result of that, what they did was they decided to share ministry with the people. That's what we read there in verse 3. And the people they selected were spiritually qualified. They were brethren. They had good reputation. They were spirit-filled. And believe me, you need to be spirit-filled if you're waiting on widows. I don't care what your ministry is, you better be spirit-filled because uh, as simple as you think it is, somebody, you're going to need, let's just say, you're going to need to be spirit-filled. And they were full of wisdom. They were, they, they were to have faith. They were to be responsible. And the, and the leaders, the, the pastors of the church, they approved and they prayed for these lay leaders. And then here's the ultimate thing that happened as a result of ministry being shared beyond the, the pastors, beyond the leaders of the church. It says, it, we're told that the church kept growing because the people of the church started ministering. Listen, this has got to happen 
more and more. We have a lot of people involved in ministry in this church, but we've got to take it even to a new level. These are some of the, the seeds that we've got to plant in the coming year to begin to raise up and train new leaders so that new ministries can be born because honestly, we have some people that are trying to do three and four and five jobs and they can't do any of them as well as they should be because they, they're trying to do too much. We need to be able to focus in and say, okay, this person's going to take care of this and another person's going to step in and take care of some of these other things so that we as a church can meet the needs that need to be met and we can keep moving forward for the cause of Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, let's move on to scene number two. Scene number two, the coach, he's all broken up and bloodied, bruised. So they finally realize, the players realize, okay, we got to get on the field. So the players take the field and they get out there and they get in their huddle but they stay in the huddle. And they're out there and the ref calls a delay of game penalty and backs the team up five yards. They don't even seem to notice. They just move back five yards and they're standing there. They get in their huddle again. And the ref throws a penalty, throws a flag, calls a delay of game penalty. They're moved back five yards again. And the players there, they just don't even seem to care because the players, you know what they're doing? They're all in the huddle and they're busy listening to the coach read the plays. Oh, coach, I love that play. Oh, coach, I, I don't think I've ever heard that play explained that quite that way before, coach. Oh, coach, Tell the, I need to take notes, coach. I need to, I need to take notes on your, uh, when you read the plays here. I, coach, tell that one again. That's my favorite play. Would you, would you read that play again? Coach, coach, you were on fire today. I've never heard you read that play like that before. Oh, I love that play. You know what? We as Christians, we love to get together in our holy huddle. That's today. This is our holy huddle, and we love to read the plays. You know, especially those plays that are going to get called during the last two minutes of the game. We love, we love to read about those plays, don't we? And I've seen volume uh, uh, after volume of books, and I've seen charts of all those, with all those plays in them, what's going to happen in the last two minutes of the game. You know, sometimes I think I, I can just picture God up in heaven and say, turning to Jesus and saying, Son, I, I'm going to send you back just as soon as I can figure this chart out. I, I'm not sure what's going on here. I can't figure out the timeline here. But you listen, you know what the, one of the biggest problems in today's church is? You ready to hear this? One of the biggest problems we have and you may have, may have never heard this before. A lot of people today have what I call hog theology. Some of you look a little confused. You want to know what hog theology is? Hog theology says, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. <laughs> that may be the only time you'll ever hear that in service ever. So thank the Lord you were here today. Charles Hackett, his former director of U.S. missions for the sins of God, he, he actually, he preached my ordination service when I was ordained years, I mean, three years ago. <laughs> it, was, it was more than three. But uh, when he was still pastoring a church before he went into the, dis, the national office, uh, someone came to him in his office one time, and I can really relate with this story because they came to him and, and they, they, said, they said, Pastor, we're just here to tell you we're, we're going to be finding another church. 
And they, they said, and he said, well, well, why? He said, well, we, we're just not being fed. We're just not being fed. And I, I mean, I've, I've had that said to me. I had one guy, it was kind of funny. He, he said, well, you know, it's nothing personal. We're, we're just not being fed. It's like, okay, that feels really personal to me. <laughs> because I'm the one preaching, you know, so it feels really personal. But, uh, but Brother Hackett, in his wisdom and his calm demeanor, he just looked at them when they said, well, we're going to leave because we're not getting fed. He just looked at them and said, well, that's probably for the best because I'm doing the best I can. It's not like to get any better, you know. You know, the reality is when it comes to being fed, I, I want to I say something to you. Maybe, maybe it'll shock you. Maybe it'll wake you up a little bit. I want you to think about this. Only babies need to be fed to survive. Sometimes we've got to get to a place as Christians that we realize, okay, yeah, it's good to come together and it's good to, good to grow. It's good to hear the word. It's good to, be, to, to feed on the word of God. But listen, if you're relying on me to feed you, to keep you alive spiritually, you are not going to survive in this world living for Jesus. The only people that, that I'm okay with having to spoon feed everything in their lives is baby Christians because they don't know they need to be fed. But the whole goal of feeding them is to help them grow to the point where they can begin to get into the word themselves and they can get into the presence of God themselves and they can begin to feed their own spiritual selves, their soul, that inner, innermost being. And they can get to the place where they're not just surviving from service to service or from Sunday to Sunday, but they're coming to church and they're, they're being fed here together with the family of God, but it's just, an, it's just like the, the, the icing on the cake because they've been feeding from the Word of God and, and being fed by the Holy Spirit all week long. But only, only babies need to be fed. You know, you know what I wish? I wish instead of, instead of hog theology, you know what we need to have? Instead of hog theology that says, feed me, feed me, feed me, Seymour. Just seeing who's paying attention. You know what we need? We need sponge theology. You know what sponge theology is? That means sponge theology is when we come into the presence of God, when we get into the Word, wherever it is, we begin to soak up everything that we can so that we can go out into this world and then we squeeze it out on everybody that we can squeeze it out on. That's the kind of theology we need. You know what? There are scores of church people sitting week after week after week and they're soaking up all the preaching and they're infected with a disease called spectatorism. And this mass of untapped potential is, is generally educated far beyond their level of obedience. In other words, they already know far more of the word than they're actually putting into practice in their lives. They have not translated their Christian theory and their Christian beliefs into practice. But I want you to know spectatorism creates flabby, weak, spoon-fed believers who have grown old but have never grown up in the, in the Lord. And they know more about church policy than they do about evangelism. They, they know more, of, they're better acquainted with parliamentary procedures and bylaws than they are with discipleship. They're the kind of members who will stand up at the annual business meeting and challenge every line of the budget and how the money is being spent, but they won't pay their tithes. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against the huddle. We need the huddle. We need to play called. We need to get together. We need to come together and eat. We come and feast and uh, banquets put before us by the word of God. We need to consume when we come in here, but then we need to contribute. Because consumption without contribution creates fat, overstuffed Christians. And contribution without consumption creates shallow Christians. But listen, if we will consume all that we can in the presence of God and we can, we then turn around and, and make a contribution to the kingdom of God with doing whatever we can, then what that creates is mature believers in Christ who are being used effectively by the Spirit of God and it creates a great church that's changing its community. We need, to, we need to fill up and then we need to let it flow out and we'll be a great church. You know, we talk about, I, I have a really simple way of explaining how to grow up in Jesus. Um, growing up in Jesus is as simple as breathing in and breathing out. How many of you understand the concept of breathing in and breathing out? Okay, very good. Some of you are hands on up like, I don't even know how you're living. <laughs> you're surviving somehow. What, what am I doing here? I don't understand this. You're, you're breathing in and you're breathing out. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, just Some of you are just like, I'm not raising my hand no matter what you say. I could say, raise your hand if you want a million dollars. And you're like, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> All right. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, let's just put, let's put it this way. Uh, let's try this. A little experiment. All right. I want everybody in the room. I want you to breathe in without breathing out. Okay, just breathe in. Just keep breathing in. Don't breathe out. Don't breathe out. Don't breathe out. Some of you, okay, you can breathe out. Some of you are turning purple. All right, let's try it the other way. Everybody just breathe out. Breathe out, breathe out, breathe out. Don't breathe in. 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 Some of you breathing in. I saw that. Okay, here, we all know this. It's a simple thing, right? You cannot survive physically in this world without breathing in and breathing out. Right? It's impossible. If all you're doing is breathing in, you're going to die. If all you're doing is breathing out, you're going to die. Both of them, that's the same side effect, right? Okay, his, listen. Here's how you grow in Jesus. Growing in Jesus is breathing in and breathing out. All it is is you breathe in all that you can. You come to church you worship, you hear the word of God, you get in your, your time in prayer uh, alone, you get into the word yourself, you get into discipleship classes, you do everything you can to breathe in as much of him as you can. You breathe it in, you breathe it in, breathe it in, breathe it in. But you know what? You cannot survive spiritually if that's all you're doing. Any more that you can, than you can survive physically if that's all you're doing. Breathing out is when you live that stuff out. When, you, when it becomes active in your life, when you put it into action, you begin to breathe out. It's, Jesus taught this principle. It was uh, the, 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 you remember, the, how many of you remember the, the foolish man and the wise man that built their houses? All right, the wise man, I'm gonna skip to that because we don't have time to go over the whole thing. The wise man who built his house on the rock uh, what did Jesus say he was? He was the person, the wise man is the one who hears my words and 
does then. That right there, my friend, is breathing in and breathing out. And if you want to grow up in Jesus, that's all it is. We make it so complicated. We make it so weird. I'm just telling you, however you breathe in the presence of God, some of you, it's music that pulls you right in there. Then that's the first place you start. I mean, it all is going to include the scripture and all of it's going to be prayer. But listen, you need to just breathe in as much of him as you can. But don't just stop there breathing in. You need to find a way to put it into action and you need to breathe it out like the sponge theology. You soak up as much as you can, but then you go out and find somebody you can squeeze it out on. If you'll do that, you'll grow. And you'll stop being a baby Christian. You won't won't need to be fed just to survive from week to week. Anyway, let's move on. I didn't mean to spend that much time on that. Scene number three. The players, they finally break from the huddle. But you know what they do? They just begin to argue. We think we're we're finally going to see some football, but they don't line up. They break the huddle, and all they do is argue. One of them saying, I wanted to be the quarterback. I don't want to play guard. Nobody nobody cares about the guard. I don't want to do that. Another one saying, I don't like the color of the uniforms. It doesn't go with my complexion. (laughs) I'm a summer. Don't you understand this? I'm embarrassed that I know any of these things, but <laughs> I live in a house full of women, so I'm, I am forever adrift on a sea of estrogen. That's just the reality. <laughs> Another one saying, I, I don't like to play the coach called, so I'm just going to take my ball and go home. Another one saying, if I can't call the plays, then I'm going to go play for another team. And there's no teamwork. And there's no teamwork, and that happens in churches all across America. People are saying, I don't want to play this part. I want to do something different. I don't want to do this. I want to do that. I, I don't like the way the, the pastor's calling the plays here. I don't like what the pastor's trying to do here. So I'm just going to take my ball and go home. I'm going to go find another team. And we, if we don't have teamwork as a body of believers, we're not going anywhere because God has created us like a body that, that has different parts that all work together. And when my body is, all, is working properly, then I'm able to do things and accomplish things that when my, if my body parts were trying to do their own thing, I would never be able to do. Something simple like hammering, hammering a nail requires my body parts to all cooperate and to work together to accomplish a single goal and a single purpose. We've got to have teamwork. Well, there are four things that are needed to develop teamwork. Number one, you need a leader that people are willing to follow. A leader needs credibility. Scripture says he's to be be honest and a good report. He's to be an encourager and a motivator, to have confidence, to communicate, and to be called of God, anointed and full of the Holy Spirit. Number two, you need team members that are willing to follow leadership. That's a big key. Sometimes you've got the leader, but you have people that are just not willing to follow the leader. Number three, this is a good one. There must be a cause 
that is worth fighting for. There must be a purpose. Listen, we have, there is no greater purpose. There is no greater cause than what we have as a church. Not just Restoration Life Church, but I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. There is no greater purpose. And our purpose as a church is to be used by God to connect, to grow, to serve, and to go. We are to connect with God and with one another and to help other people connect with God. We're here to grow up in Jesus, not just to grow old in the church. We're here to serve Jesus, to serve one another, and to serve this community. And we are to go and make disciples in this community and to help other people go make disciples all around the world. That's a big challenge. But here's what I've learned. When there's a challenge, winners will stretch to meet the challenge. But whiners will shrink from it. People have asked, what motivates you to stay in the battle for the souls of men? When things aren't going the way you want them to go? When people get critical? And can I tell you, when you're in ministry, sometimes people just get downright mean. It's true. I have stories I can tell you. I'm not going to tell you this morning. They make me laugh. Um, like, I'll tell you. I can't tell you right now, but there's one that comes to my mind. It just makes me laugh. And people say, how, how, do you, what, how do you keep going? What motivates, motivates you to stay in the battle for the souls of man? And the answer is really simple. I was called by God. I have been called of God to sense the invisible so that I can do the impossible. I, I have been called to continue when I am discouraged because there is faith in the future that God has for us. My vision is the promise of what we shall one day become. My call is greater than my gifts. It's greater than my abilities. It is as large as the world, but it begins with just one. I have been called by God and so have you. So will you join me? Fourth thing that it takes to develop teamwork is we've got to understand that everyone is needed. From the usher to the nursery. From the worship team to the greeter. From the Sunday school staff to the sound men. From the video technicians to the instrumentalists. From the women's ministries to the men's ministries. From the youth sponsors to the children's workers. Everyone is needed from those who can cook to those who can clean. But I especially like those who can cook. <laughs> everyone is needed from the youngest one in the nursery to the oldest one in the seniors ministry. We've got to understand that. You know, years ago before there was a Super Bowl, there was a game which is now referred to, many of you have heard of it, is called the Ice Bowl. And Dallas was playing Green Bay in Green Bay. And in the closing seconds of the game, Green Bay was just inches from scoring a touchdown to go ahead and potentially win the game. It was fourth down and time was running out. And the quarterback, Bart Starr, he huddled his team and he looked at his guard, whose name was Jerry Kramer. Uh, and he said, Jerry, we are, we're going to run the ball over your position. And if you will push your man back just one foot, we're going to win this game. And if we win this game, you're going to get a bonus of $25,000. <laughs> Football players today would, would scoff at that, but that was big money back then. You know what happened? They called, they lined up that play, and the, the quarterback went through the cadence, and they hiked the ball, and Jerry Kramer pushed his man back one foot, and Green Bay scored a touchdown to win the game. 
And the next day, you know what everybody was doing? All the press, they were all giving credit to the running back for scoring the game-winning touchdown. But the entire team knew that the real hero was the guard, Jerry Kramer, because the running back would never have gotten into the end zone without him. In the church, everyone is needed. There's no ministry that's unimportant. If you don't do it, there's, we're going to be missing something in this church. If you don't do what God has called you to do. Let's move on for the sake of time. For the sake of time. Scene number four. The team lines up, but they don't have any equipment on. Boy, isn't, isn't this the way we do church sometimes? They finally stopped arguing. They're not going to be, but they're not going to be effective without equipment. Listen, we, God has granted us in the Holy Spirit and the Word. And he's given us all the armor we need for the battle that's in front of us. And we need to fill up and we need to suit up. I mean, how many times have we gone into, into battle without praying? Did did you pray before you went to see that person that you knew needed the Lord? Did you pray before you called your neighbor to invite them to church? Did you pray this morning before you even came to church? Did you pray and say, Lord God, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm weak and I need you to equip me. I need you to make me ready, not just to receive, but make me ready to, to touch somebody's life today. There's an old saying, I don't know where it came from, but it goes like this, little prayer, equals little power. Some prayer equals some power. But much prayer equals much power. You know, one of the greatest traditions, a very grand tradition in college football is the Rose Parade. Even if you don't like football, you probably like the Rose Parade. Actually, if you don't like fo football, you probably like it. If you do like football, you probably don't, but that's a different story. But many, many years ago, something interesting happened during, the, during that parade. There was a large float that stalled, and, and it was stalled on the street there, and it was blocking the entire parade route, and the entire parade came to a grinding halt behind it. As it turned out, what happened was the problem was that someone had forgotten to fill the gas tank of a vehicle that was running the float, and it ran out of gas. That's bad enough, but here's the worst part. The worst part was the float was Standard Oil Company's entry into the parade. <laughs> the gas company ran out of gas. They had all, all the gas that anyone could possibly need, but they ran out of gas. How embarrassing is that? But before we pass judgment, we need to remember that every ounce of the power of God is available to the church of Jesus Christ. And yet there are many churches across our land that are powerless. There are many Christians uh, across our land that are powerless. God has made everything available to us that we need to ensure our success. So don't sit back and say, well, God, I'd like to do that, but I don't have what I need to do that. Listen, if God is calling you to do that, you have everything you need to do that. And if there's anything lacking in you, you have him, and that's all you're going to need. Well, let's finish this up. Scene number five. It's halftime in the locker room. They get together and Coaches and the team, they all talk about the, the first half together, and the first half was obviously a terrible disaster. And the coach stands up before the team, and he, and he begins to confess to the team. He said, listen, I'm sorry. I tried to do everything myself. 
and, and, and it hurt their team in the long run. I tried to do everything else myself. Forgive me. He said, I had too many committee meetings and not enough practices. He said, I've been teaching you, but we haven't getting, gotten you out on the field to play. And then the players all stood up and, and said, Coach, Coach, we got we to gotta ask you to forgive us too because we were happy to let you do it all. I was content to sit on the bench and just let you do it. Coach, I've, I've been intimidated. I was afraid to even try. Look, Coach, I, I, I didn't know what my gift or what position I should play, and, and I didn't want to play that, but, but now I realize this is what God made me for, so I'm going to do it now. One said, Coach, I wanted to play somewhere else, but that, that position uh, other than the place where I was needed. Well, the rest of the story is real simple. The team put their, their equipment on, they went on the field. They all played together as a team. They all played the positions that they were equipped to play and that they needed to play. They all did their part. And working as a team, they came back and they won the game. Isn't that great? Yeah. Well, listen, I believe God has a master game plan for our church. And God's, but here's the reality. God's plan for this church can never come to full fruition unless everyone gets involved. If you are not doing your part, you're cheating this church and you're cheating this community and you're missing out on the greatest joy you'll ever know of being used by him. So I'm going to close with this question. Mary Beth, you can come on up. The question is, will you join the team? question is, will you do your part? Will you find a place? Will you get involved? Will you find some place that you can serve? And, and, and it doesn't mean that you have to be up front. It doesn't mean anything. But, but, but there's, there, there are things that need to be done. There are ministries that need to be born. The question is, for you this morning, for all of you that are part of Restoration Life Church, my question for you is, will you help carry the ball in 2019? Stand together with me. Folk, it's time for us to stop just breathing in and start breathing out. God's got something he wants to do through you. So too many of us are waiting around saying, God, I, 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 I want your touch. I want your blessing. There's nothing wrong with that. But we get stuck there saying, God, I want you to do something to me. And God all the while is saying, no, 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 no. I want to do something greater because I want to do something through you. Yeah. And if, that's, if you're willing, that's all he's looking for. Somebody that's available. He doesn't care what your abilities are. He loves choosing the weak, the foolish, the broken. That's what, that's what he loves doing because then when, when he does something great through you, everybody knows it wasn't you. They say, that must have been God. So if you say, well, I'm just not really qualified, then you're perfect. God never calls the qualified. But he always qualifies the called. So if you're willing, that's what he's looking for. To say, Jesus, use me wherever you want to use me. Do whatever you want to do in me and do whatever you want to do through me. To say, Lord, there's no job that's, that's too small. And others, he's calling you to something that's bigger than you think you can handle. So we say, God, there's no job that's too big for you. 
but whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm willing. Would you bow your head? Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus.